Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you consistently stressed out because of your financial situation? Maybe you're frustrated because you know you're not where you want to be financially. Few things have the power to throw our lives off balance like financial stress, which is why we're going to spend today talking about how to have a life of simplicity by taking control of our finances, or rather, transferring control over to the Lord. Today's message is for all those out there who are frustrated about money. This message is entitled, Simple Finances. Do you have control over your finances? Or do your finances have control over you? You know, there's always an uncomfortable anxiety that fills the room whenever pastors start talking about finances. And I think the reason why is because pastors have been stereotyped as money-grubbing crooks that are just looking to line their own pockets. And I think this stereotype is alive and well today because the prosperity gospel is still being preached today. And if you're not sure what the prosperity gospel is, it's this idea or teaching that whenever you're obedient to God, God will bless you financially beyond measure. In other words, you can be rich and have millions and millions of dollars if you obey God. And anyone that donates money to said ministries will have multiplied amounts returned to them. For example, you give me a dollar and God will give you back $10. I want you to know that this prosperity gospel that is alive and well today and is on numerous channels on cable, it's a scam. Listen, it's a scam. It's not only a scam, it's false doctrine. It's a system that exploits little old ladies out of their money. Do not trust ministries that consistently ask for your money. If we, as an organization, are always asking for your money, the reason why is because we have poor leadership. If we always need money, it's because we're not operating within our means. So yeah, it's a leadership problem. If every time I see you, I say, hey, I need more money, there's a big problem there. So before I begin, I want to do my best to convince you that as we talk about money, it's not to line my own pockets, that I have a very different agenda in in mind. Um, If you're unsure how it is that pastors get paid, you might say, well, I don't even know how this works. I'm going to do my best to try to explain how it is that we do that here. Basically, my salary is decided um, based off the amount of money that goes consistently into the plate or consistently goes into the plate. Um, and also what the average amount of income is for the area. So basically it's what's fair. Now, I don't decide decide this amount. A committee recommends how much that salary should be, and the church as a whole votes to approve or change it at our annual business meeting. Now, my stance on this issue is this. How much you give my family is entirely up to you. And if you were to stop your giving... Um, If I didn't receive a salary from this church, I would find some other way to feed my family, but I would still continue to be your pastor. Regardless of what you do as a congregation, I don't work for you. I work for the Lord. I serve you and there is a difference. So don't feel like when you put money in the plate, you're paying me to do a job. I do my job because God has commanded me to. If you decide to bless me or not, that's up to you. I'm not trying to get rich. I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord. And the Apostle Peter puts this issue to rest for me when he says in 1 Peter 5, 2, 
Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, I don't want to talk about money today because I'm trying to line my own pockets. I want to talk about money today because there are very few things that have the power to throw our lives into chaos like financial stress. It's hard to feel blessed and it's hard to feel like you live a life of simplicity when you feel like you're you're financially burdened all the time. You cannot simplify your life if your relationship with money is out of control. The reason being is that there aren't very many things that cause more stress in a person's life than financial problems. Tell me if you know, what is the number one reason why couples fight? Money, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. Scripture teaches us that believers in Christ have the power to throw off every chain that binds us. We don't have to live our lives dominated by financial stress and strain. If that point were made abundantly clear anywhere in Scripture, it would be in Luke 19. So what I want to do is I want to read Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. I want to spend some time examining the life of a guy in Scripture who had a fractured relationship with money until God intervened. I want to read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since he was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, if you grew up in church, you've likely heard this story. This is one of the songs we sing in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. However, there are several things about this story that are beneath the initial surface of what we read. For example, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was short, and so in order to see Jesus, he had to climb a tree. This was simply because he couldn't see over the heads of the people in front of him. But ask yourself this question. Why was he so determined to see Jesus? No doubt plenty of people in Jericho were curious as well. I mean, Jesus was a man of well-renown. I mean, people heard of Jesus. But see, Zacchaeus took it a step further. He risked ridicule and personal injury by climbing a tree. I want to ask you this question. What would cause a filthy rich man to climb a tree? This is my hypothesis. Zacchaeus was desperate. Zacchaeus wanted to do more than simply catch a glimpse of the famous guy everybody was talking about. 
I believe Zacchaeus climbed a tree because Zacchaeus wanted help. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. When the Romans conquered an area, they would collect taxes from the people. And rather than send out more personnel, they would bid out this responsibility to, to the person that could pay the most. Um, and if you could afford the contract, you would collect these taxes from your own people and you would send these taxes into Caesar. Now, the benefit of this job was that Caesar only asked for a certain amount, but you could tax, as the tax collector, however much money you wanted to enforce. And you could take whatever you took off the top for yourself. Therefore, tax collectors were hated more than prostitutes. They were regarded as traitors amongst their own people. They were extortionists. Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, which means that he was very likely the most hated man in all of the land. He was certainly the richest Jew in all of the land. Let me ask you a question. What would cause the richest Jew in Jericho to climb a tree? I would be willing to guess that perhaps years, maybe decades of extorting money from his own people, that his feelings of guilt and remorse had finally caught up with him. Zacchaeus had an unhealthy relationship with money. It's all he thought about. He's always thinking about the bottom line. How much money is this going to make me? I mean, people already hate me. Why shouldn't I take care of myself? I mean, who cares what other people think? Do you see, though, that deep down Zacchaeus had an addiction? He was addicted to greed. Zacchaeus was wealthy, to be sure, but he found that his riches didn't satisfy him. In fact, just the opposite. He found that his unhealthy relationship with money was a great source of shame and guilt in his life. No doubt every cent he collected left him tortured with self-hatred. I believe Zacchaeus climbed a tree because he was desperate for help. Now there's a moment in every recovering addict's life when they realize that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. In fact, this week I was speaking with another pastor who, who talked about breaking his drug addiction. He said, you know, no, nobody ever has ambitions of being a drug addict. It's something you just slide into. And when I was in it, all I wanted was out. But I can honestly tell you, I always had the will to quit. I just didn't have the power to. That is, until Jesus came into my life. Now, hearing his story, I think, I think of Zacchaeus because it's a very similar story. I think Zacchaeus was tired of being dominated by the relationship that he had with money. I think he was at the end of his rope. But Zacchaeus also knew that there was no power within him to help himself. And so I think he climbed a tree. I'll bet, though, he never expected to find Jesus calling him down, much less knowing his name. Do you know what the difference is between Christianity and every other religion in the world? There are thousands of different religions in the world. Why is Christianity so arrogant to believe that they're the only ones that are correct? I believe this is why. Because when you seek Jesus, you come to understand that God was always seeking you. Indeed, he passionately loves you, and he has left several promises for you in Scripture. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. 
The author of Hebrews left this in Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What do you think is the reward for seeking God? If you don't know, let me explain it to you. The reward is that God shows up. If you seek God, you will find God or rather God will find you. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, we're going to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus agrees. Now, I know scripture doesn't say this, but there's actually a lot that has to happen here. This had to have been a long, painful walk for Zacchaeus back to his house. Because there he was, walking with the Messiah, the guy who got off of his throne and will soon pour out his life as a ransom for many. The same man that day in and day out consistently was in service to the poor, healing the sick, issuing out forgiveness and love, giving of himself to people. What side of town do you think Zacchaeus lived on? I'm willing to bet that Zacchaeus lived in the richest part of Jericho. That he lived probably in the biggest house in town. Which meant that there were most likely beggars who lined the streets. There were most likely people who were crippled and afflicted who cried out daily for mercy. Zacchaeus very likely spent decades hardening his heart, walking past his people, maybe even cursing at them to leave him alone. But you see, now as he walked alongside Jesus, he couldn't treat them poorly. In fact, every person he passed likely felt like another dagger in his heart because of the condition of greed that he suffered with. And after person after person cried out for grace, and he and Jesus passed them, they finally arrived at Zacchaeus' house. He most likely didn't live in a one-room hut. No, he, he probably lived in a palace. He probably had a huge, beautiful home with beautiful furniture and grand tapestries hanging from the walls. He most likely had every luxury a person could afford and all the while people outside his home were starving to death. You see this tension, it was building so much so that Zacchaeus finally cried out, Look, Lord, here, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and I, if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What do you think would have elicited such a response from Zacchaeus? Doesn't it seem bizarre? Everything's fine, and then all of a sudden he says, Look, Lord! Zacchaeus reached the end of his greed because, don't miss this, he confessed that Jesus was Lord. You see, when Jesus is Lord, you're forced to ask yourself this question. What would Jesus want me to do with my finances? For Zacchaeus, the answer was give half away to the poor and then pay back four times what he cheated others out of. 
Jesus tells everyone who is watching what's going on, salvation has come to this house today. You see, Zacchaeus is the only person in Scripture that is recorded to have two reconciliation experiences with God. The first is the reconciliation with salvation. Zacchaeus declares that Jesus is the Lord of his life. But also, Zacchaeus experiences the reconciliation of his finances with God. Now, something to note here is that at the end of the story, Zacchaeus doesn't walk away financially broke. He only gave away half of his wealth and then paid back four times what he cheated others out of. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having money. But what kind of relationship we have with money is very important. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it is my belief that many Christians experience the first reconciliation, the reconciliation of salvation, without ever experiencing the second one, a financial reconciliation with God. Now, I'll be honest with you. It took me years as a pastor to have a financial reconciliation with God. In complete honesty, this is almost a daily battle for me to continue to trust God with our finances. But I can tell you with a clean conscience that Aaron and I are no longer stressed out about our finances. And guess what? It has nothing to do with how much the church blesses us with. There are some principles that each follower of Christ must live their lives by if we as followers are going to have the right relationship with God and our finances. There are some basic principles of godly finances, and I want to talk about those um, today. First and foremost, we need to understand that everything that we have, it belongs to God. None of us have gotten where we are today 100% on our own. There is such a bold statement that a lot of us make. I have earned everything that I have. Now, even if that were true, and no one had ever helped us with a monetary gift, which I find very hard to believe, somebody somewhere along the way canceled a debt that we owed them. Maybe it was a teacher, a parent, a boss, a friend. Somebody somewhere gave us a break. Somewhere along the way, we were blessed with gifts that were directed our way by God. James says in James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. Even if nobody ever helped you, which is hard to believe, God gave you life. You have been given talents and abilities. You've been given learning capabilities. You've been given ambition. He gave you good health so that you could work. God opened doors for you to walk through, whether you acknowledge that or not. You see, a truly humble person could admit, I didn't get here on my own. God has gotten me where I am today. And nothing we have belongs to us. We are simply stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So first, we must understand that everything we have belongs to God, but also we must learn to live joyfully within God's provision. You know, it's only human nature to look for greener pastures. 
We think, if only. You know, if only I had a better job, a nicer house, a newer car. If only I had a more sophisticated cell phone, then I would be happy. But according to this logic, people in the United States should be the happiest people on earth, right? According to a Gallup poll in 2012, the United States ranks 25th in the happiest places on earth. Panama, one of the top 10 murder capitals in the world, which ranks 90th in the world in respect to average income, is the sixth happiest place in the world. What does that tell us? It tells us that money doesn't buy happiness. But it also tells us that having more stuff will never make us happy. Yet much of the time, we feel that if we could just get more, we could be happy. But that's the same twisted up logic that Zacchaeus believed. God began to convict us, um, Aaron and myself, of our financial situation whenever our son Christian was about to be born. You see, Aaron and I had just purchased a brand new car because we, quote, needed it for the baby. <laughs> I can't tell you what possesses to pick up this book, but we picked up Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And through that book, God convicted us and helped, helped us to change our life when it came to the way that we look at our finances. And through reading it, we were encouraged to take an inventory of where we were. Aaron and I owed $30,000 to six different places uh, total. It's $30,000 total among six different places. And we were forced to make the minimum payment to each place every month. Now, when you're in a financial situation like the one that we were in, it really takes a gut check to realize that Superman's not coming to save you. We had to realize that we weren't going to win the lottery, and if we wanted to experience financial pay, uh, peace, we had to stop living beyond our means. You know, in Bill Hybel's book, he says, um, in his book, Simplify and Clutter Your Soul, he says that debt comes from wanting more than God's current provision for your life and arranging other ways to get it. Now, I realize that's a hard line to draw, but truthfully speaking, isn't Bill Hybels right? Isn't that exactly what debt is? God didn't give it to me, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and get it. I think Dave Ramsey would argue that there's such a thing as good debt and bad debt. Good debt builds equity, bad debt deteriorates. For example, property would be an example of good debt because it builds equity. A new car would be an example of bad debt. Credit cards, bad debt. New, why a new car? Because the value cuts in half as soon as you drive it off the lot and um, the value continues to deteriorate. Why credit cards are a bad debt is because you don't have anything to show for it. It's just sitting there and it's accruing interest and you owe more and more and more money. You have nothing to show for it. Being reconciled with God means trusting Him to provide for you and to stop trying to live outside of His provision level. We're never going to experience simplicity in our finances until we surrender to him on this point. We have to stop living beyond our means. So, we must trust God in his provision, but we must also honor God by giving our tithe, which translates to 10% of our income. Now, the stereotype I mentioned earlier about pastors comes into play with this third principle. But I will not shy away from what Scripture teaches us about tithing and giving. Financially speaking, we're in great shape as a church. But this is what I will tell you. 
If you don't feel like you can support this ministry, find one that you can, not for my sake, but for yours. Why a tenth, though? Why a tenth of everything that I make? Where does that even come from? This is a teaching that began in the Old Testament. When the tabernacle was established, God instructed Moses and the 12 tribes of Israel to gather together, and and he explained to them how the tabernacle would operate. The tribe of of Levi was commanded to take care of the tabernacle and all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices, and the other 11 tribes would dedicate a tenth of everything that they had to provide for the tribe of Levi and to ensure that the ministry would continue to prosper. Initially, this is what everybody, everybody did. They obeyed. But as time went on, the love of money grew in the Israelites' heart and they began to experience plague and famine because they felt that all of their money was theirs and not really God's. And thus, the tribe of Levi was suffering. Between the Old and New Testament, there were about 300 years of silence. And among the last things in the Old Testament that, that God records through the prophet Malachi is this statement. So what he says in Malachi 3, 9 through 10. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Scripture teaches us that we cannot live under financial blessing and disobey God. I don't tell you this to riddle you with guilt. I'm telling this to you to help you. I don't look at the giving statements. I don't have any idea whether you give or not because this isn't between you and me. It's between you and God. Now, I'm not done with the principles of godly finance, so I'm going to have to move on. But before I do, I want to make two promises to you. Number one, this church will continue to serve you and your family and this community, whether you give or not. And promise number two, I will never ask you to do anything that I won't do myself. My wife and I will give at the very least 10% of our income to God. And to show you that I'm serious about this, you have my permission to ask our treasurer for our giving statement whenever you want to see it. Tithing is critical to having the right relationship with God and our finances. We must live also with an open ear towards heaven and respond to where God directs us to give. This is the goal of financial peace. It's not to have millions of dollars in the bank and to be among the world's wealthiest people. It's to be financially free to bless others when God directs us to, to be his instrument so that people can get saved. Now, if you're wondering, I rarely give to people who ask for money on the side of the road. And I know this sounds heartless, but I don't give to them because they want me to feel guilty when I don't. I am at the place in my life and my relationship with God where I give not when I feel guilty, but when I feel directed to. Because when you have an open ear towards heaven, God will tell you when to give and even how much. I refuse to give anything out of guilt. And I don't understand why anyone would give out of guilt 
when they can give out of obedience and joy. Zacchaeus didn't give out of guilt. He gave away half of his wealth because he was so filled with joy to be free from his financial addiction. Jesus saved his soul and then he asked himself this question, how would Jesus have me use my resources? And he felt Jesus direct him to care for those around him by giving half of everything that he had and repaying four times what he stole from others. The long walk back to his house took a toll on him. And Zacchaeus gave as he felt directed. I want to close today by just asking you some pointed questions. Jesus insisted on going to Zacchaeus' house. The people Zacchaeus used to be able to ignore, he couldn't ignore anymore in the presence of the living God. The things that used to bring Zacchaeus pride were now a mark of shame and guilt and regret in his life. All because Jesus came to his house. So my question for you is, what will Jesus see when he comes to your house? Do you have the right relationship with money? Do you understand that everything that you have belongs to God? Or are you living under the delusion that everything you have, you've worked for? Do you surround yourself with stuff to inflate your ego? If so, consider this. If everything really does belong to God, is that really the way he would have you use the wealth that's been entrusted to you? Are you joyfully living in God's provision for your life? Or are you subconsciously telling yourself, I guess God has made a mistake. God, you don't seem to be giving me all the things that I think I should have, so I'm going to go and get the things that I think I should have another way. You know, it's impossible to feel at peace when you're under a mountain of financial debt. God wants you to live joyously with what he's provided for you so that you will trust him more and he will give you more. Are you tithing? Do you understand how messed up it is to say to God, God, I know what you've commanded me to do and I don't want to do it, but God, I still want you to bless me and my family. Do you understand how messed up that is? If you want to experience God's blessing, it begins by being obedient, not so that you can get rich, but so that you can be developed into the person that God wants you to be. And if you feel like you're just not strong enough to do all the things that we're talking about today, if you feel like you just don't have enough faith to step out on that limb and to do as God has commanded you to do, then this passage of scripture that we're about to read is for you. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. And his understanding nobody can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, the scripture tells us that even the strongest people get tired at times. But God is never tired. And he's never too busy to step in and help. And for followers of Christ, his strength is our strength. So whenever you feel like all of life is crushing in around you and it feels like you just cannot take another step, remember that you can call upon the name of the Lord and he will come in the moment you cry out to him and he will renew your strength. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.